was a very young man, uh, in fact, a teenager, I gave my life to Jesus Christ in the service of a local Baptist church right here in the North Cone area. That church is still going today, functioning today. I was 10. I went up, as many people do, in an emotional response to the message and the plea from the pastor at the end of the message in what we call an altar call. I went up feeling the conviction in my heart for my sins. Not having any discipleship or anyone to mentor me, being 10 years of age, I didn't, it, it didn't stick. And between the ages of 10 and 14, I began to drink. I began to shoot drugs. I took mescaline and uh, just, just short of heroin, I was popping acid. I was shooting speed. And I was on a fast track to an early end of life. When I was 14, I was in another church service with my parents at a second, another local church. And it was, again, the end of service. It was a revival service that had been going on all week, services each night, several on Sunday. We were in the Sunday morning service. Both my parents were up in the choir. I was standing, I was seated over in this area, this section of the church. I was about two or three rows back. It was the end of the service, and again, the evangelist, the guest evangelist, was making a hot and heavy plea for people to give their life to Jesus. My dad came out of the choir loft, knelt at the altar, and was praying. I knew who he was praying for. I was standing there with a cold, hard heart. I had this long army jacket on. Anybody identify with that? Had long hair. And into the lining of the jacket, brother, I had my pot pipes. Because as soon as I got out of that service, I was going to go smoke some hash and some pot. I laughed. My dad got up, went back into the choir, and my mom made her way down, knelt, began to pray. I knew she was praying for me. And again, I just laughed that off. I was not about to make any kind of changes. I was enjoying my life. And this Jesus thing, you know, I just, I didn't want to live that kind of life. I didn't want to give up having a good time. I didn't want to give up smoking pot. I didn't want to give up my friends. I didn't want to give up rock music. See, that's what making a commitment to Jesus was all about. Give up, die, stop what you're doing, and pledge to live by this list of moral law code. That was Christianity. That's the Christianity I knew. It's the Christianity that, always, that had always been preached and taught in the churches that I went to. My mom got up, went back into the choir loft, and my dad left that choir loft a second time. 
He came down. This time he went right by the altar. And he kept walking. And he was headed for me. Big tears were rolling down his eyes. He grabbed me in his embrace. And he said, Jeff, I love you. Jeff, I love you. Jeff, I love you. And he said, Satan, I command you to take your hands off my boy. And in that moment, I broke. And I went up to the altar. I gave my life back to Jesus. I was 14. I'm 57. It's taken 43 years for me to come to the place of what I'm going to share with you this morning about Christianity. Because it's not how I was raised. It's not what I thought. It was not what was preached. But I love my Heavenly Father more today because of this message that I'm about to share with you. I love Jesus more today than I've ever loved Him. My life is cleaner, my marriage brighter. I have more hope, more confidence that I'm in the center of His will. I've never been happier in my life than I am today because of what I'm going to share with you. I've entitled this morning's message, what we've had wrong about following Jesus. Did you know that following Jesus, the term, the, the, the phrase to follow Jesus, is only mentioned in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by Jesus, and is not carried forward in the letters written by the apostles to the churches? And it's only mentioned in the Gospels about a dozen times, depending on the translation you're reading. You'll readily identify these first two passages, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you... Out loud, everyone. Okay. We know that one, have memorized it, learned it in Sunday school. So did I. Here's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You'll also recognize this one. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and do what? Follow me. And on those two verses and a couple of others, we have built our theology about following Jesus. And yet, nothing after the Gospel of John includes that phrase. Does that concern you? Is it possible that all these years, with all the teaching that we have had, and how precious and foundation, foundational following Jesus is to our faith, and I'd be the first one to raise my hand and say, Amen, it is, absolutely, that's where we start. Is it possible that we've had some things wrong? Is it possible that what we thought was so foundational and crucial to our faith might be twisted, not because of the Bible, but because of the way we've taught it. You see, we speak primarily about the cross 
as Christ's suffering for us and our requirement to die to self and follow him, or that translates into obey, obey him. What if the cross was about God implementing his master plan, the one that he had in place before the world began and before you were ever born? What if the cross was God's plan to redeem the world back into fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and into their other-centered love that they as the Trinity enjoy? What if the cross was not so much about what you need to do and it's everything about what he did? What if following Jesus was more about listening and abiding in his love than personal performance and a commitment to observe moral code and to obey? There is this divine tension between actionary and abiding. You'll see it in your notes. Actionary and abiding. What part of Christianity is actionary? What, what, what part of my faith requires me to do something, to respond? And what part of my faith is simply resting and abiding in what he's already finished? Is it possible we've misunderstood the good news? And this gets right to the heart of who Jesus was. You remember Jesus asked his disciples that once. Who do men say that I am? He's still asking that question. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this, some say... And then he rephrased it, he said, no, who do you say that I am? You're the son of God. That doesn't really translate today. It doesn't come over. Because we've had a skewed vision of God in the first place. So it's kind of messed up. I mean, God, the son of God, it's just all kind of out there and distant and judgmental and hateful. And we have to change what we're doing and become something that we can't live up to. And yet that's not at all how Jesus walked or what he taught while he was on this earth. Think about it. Think about what actually makes up the message of the gospel. Do you remember when Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. No man has seen the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in other words, if you will watch Jesus, you will know what the Father is like. This is, this is, not, this is not bait and switch, which is what we've got in our heads so often when it comes to the gospel. We hear that it's good news, but then we get there, and it's kind of a switch, and we find out, that it's really all about the actions 
that I do or don't do and that I have to own up to and that I need to change my life to get God to accept me. And so it's kind of like this bait and switch. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Oh, I need that. And bam, all of a sudden it switched on you and you realize, man, I can't do this. This is hard. Come on now. Has anybody ever... That's what I discovered in my Christianity as a 14, 15, 16-year-old that caused me to give up so quickly and turn to drugs, turn to drinking, turn to the lifestyle that I had. And it's also what influenced my Christian walk for the next three decades, three decades of trying to serve God, trying to be good, trying to obey his commandments, trying to please God, trying to be a good enough pastor, trying to get the things that are displeasing to God out of my life. And yet, when you look at what Jesus did, he said, I never do anything unless I first see the Father doing it. I never say anything unless I first hear the Father saying it. And so think about it. What happened when the woman was brought to him that was caught in adultery? He forgave her. Didn't he? <laughs> he didn't condemn her. He forgave her. What happened when all the children were up around his legs and grabbing on him? And you remember how the disciples pushed them away and said, Get out of here. The master, the master doesn't have time for you. And Jesus rebuked his own disciples and said, Don't you dare. Don't you dare. You let them come to me. And he picked one of them up. The scripture says he embraced. He pulled the child up next to his heart. And he called heaven's blessings down on them. And then said, one of the greatest passages in all of the New Testament. You must become like this little child to enter heaven. Did you know that's how God acts? That's how God treats children? Did you know that's how God thinks about adultery? And how God treats adultery, he forgives it. That's not what I was taught. I was taught God hates adultery. And therefore, if you're an adulterer, God hates you. And until you stop that, God won't accept you. And it totally skewed my idea of what God was like. And all I had to do was look at Jesus. And I could have known, this is not, this is not God. <laughs> This is God. His name is Jesus. How he lived, how he walked, how he taught. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, I, The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. One pastor said one time, Baptist pastor, one of the greatest Baptist churches here in town, said on his uh, morning program, I heard it, he said, Translated, that means I have come that you might have life and life real fun. I thought that was great out of a Baptist pastor. Isn't that good? You know, Baptist, Baptist wouldn't translate the scripture that way. <laughs> I mean, Baptist wants you to, I mean, fire and brimstone. Yeah, you need to change. Now, I can say that because I was. I was, I am, that's what I was born. I'll go to heaven a Baptist. I'm a Baptocostal now. <laughs> the message of the gospel is this. I came to share God's extravagant love with you and reveal his nature. That's what Jesus did. 
Think of it. During the time when Jesus came, they didn't dare. I mean, all of the religious people, church practice. If you had lived in that time, you, church members, churchgoers, you didn't dare speak the name of God. You didn't dare think that you had a right to approach God. Only the priest could do that. Jesus came and radically turned that religious apple cart upside down and said, no, you, you all have direct access to the Father. In fact, going forward, you're, you're going to stop asking any middleman anything in prayer. You're going to go directly to the Father, ask in my name, and he will give it to you. And oh, by the way, his name is Father. Father, 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 Father. And they said, oh my God, he's renaming God. He's calling, he's calling out the name of God. We can't speak that. Shh. Jesus said, I'm coming to reveal God, not your religion. I didn't come to start a new religion. I didn't come to deliver a new Torah to you. I've come to uncover the God of the universe who's always been what I am revealing to you. You see, the religious idea of following Jesus has always been based on the sense of a distant God, one that we have to go find and then leave everything for and obey. Is following about our finding, seeking, and performing? Or is following about how God, is the gospel about how God climbs into our life, right into the center of our messes, and then we follow we don't follow at a distance. We don't try to go get and bring him to us. We, he, he climbs into our life with us. He climbs into our circumstances, our messes, our sin. And oh, by the way, so many of us were raised that God hates you. He hates your sin. He, he hates your, the, your soul because we, we, we've learned that our, 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 our soul is ugly and those emotions are ugly and those things that we do are ugly. See, we've got this split character about God. We have God who can't even look upon us. He's disgusted with us. He's so holy and pure, God cannot be around us. But that's interesting because Jesus, who was God, not only can look at us, but he enters our world, he lives among us, he becomes us, he fellowships with the rankest of despicable sinners, one translation says. And then Paul said, and he became sin. What's up? What's up with this dual image of God? God who's repulsed by you and the issues you're going through and the sin in your life and the circumstances of your shack. Anybody read the book? <laughs> the shack. Just a type and shadow for your soul. You see, we've always believed in a distant God and that everything is transactional. And so our entire devotional life becomes about us asking this God to come into our lives. And then we have to prove by our righteousness that it's okay for him to stay. Oh, you're not listening to me. I don't know about you, but that's the gospel I learned. That, that's the church I went to. That's what I struggled for three decades 
until I learned the message of Hebrews chapter 4. That not only can Jesus look at me, but Jesus came and he became me. He took upon himself my sin. He fellowships with me. He climbs into the middle of my mess. And then he did what nobody else could do. He dealt with the distance. He dealt with the sense and awareness that I was not good enough. He took that away. He wiped out the distance between me and God. He turned upside down this idea that the temple where God dwells is over there. And Jeff Corson, you are not holy enough. You're not good enough to even approach the presence of God. He did away with that whole thing of the temple. Said, I now, I'm the temple. And he ripped the curtain in two from top to bottom. Some six foot thick curtain ripped. And he opened the way to the Holy of Holies. And he said, his name is Father. He loves you. And I've just demonstrated for three and a half years what his love is like. So you come right on into his presence now. And enjoy his extravagant love. And oh, by the way, if you want to know what this love is like, it is the eternal love of the Trinity. The other-centered love of the Trinity. I mean, think about this, folks. If there's nobody else but God, who did God love before you? Who, who was God in love with before you and me? And yet the Bible says He is love. He loved the Son, and He loved the Holy Spirit. And the Son loved the Father, and the Son loved the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loved the Son, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father. And there's this beautiful love triangle in the Trinity where they have this other-centered love that's perfect. And dear ones, that's been going on for eternity before you and I were ever born. And when Jesus came, he paid the price. He hung on a cross to redeem us back into that love triangle. And make possible a relationship with the Father that heretofore man never had outside of the garden. And here's what characterizes this new relationship now with God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 10. I'm reading from the Amplified Translation. For indeed, we have had the glad tidings, or the gospel proclaimed to us just as truly as they did, meaning the Israelites of old, when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the, listen, the message they heard didn't benefit them. Jeff Corson, three decades, trying to eke out your Christianity, trying to please God, trying to appease God, trying to be good enough, trying to reach and accept God into your life, to gain His approval. The message Jeff Corson heard, it didn't benefit him. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. Or, or what? What's the definition of that? With the leaning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in His power, His wisdom, and His goodness. 
Verse 10. For he who has once entered rest or God's rest has ceased from his own labor. What if the writer of Hebrews, what if the entire argument of Hebrews has it right? That the good news is about entering God's rest, not about a new system of obligation, personal effort, and attempts to gain God's favor. What if Hebrews has it right? What if following Jesus isn't about activity, isn't about an actionary thing I have to do, but actually it's embracing what he's already done for me, what he's already accomplished, and he said it is finished. It's yours. Abide in me and let my word abide in you. And therefore you will ask whatever you want of the Father and he will do it for you. Mm, yes, that's what the last decade has been about. And now some 43 years later, I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of what it, what it is like to walk in this great Pauline revelation of being in Christ. Taking up your cross isn't about what you must give up. It's about refocusing all your attention on his redemptive work and receiving the other-centered love of the Trinity. And so I want to take you to a scripture, and we'll close for today. Matthew chapter 11. Would you go there with me? Matthew chapter 11. Already there. Beat you. See how good I am? See how important to God I am? I know my Bible. I, I, can get to, I can get to chapter and verse quicker than you can. Now, you're laughing, but that used to be part of my system of righteousness. I'm not kidding. I used to sit in church and compare how quick I could find a chapter and verse to the people that were sitting next to me. And if I could get there first, felt good. Felt more righteous. Bless God, you need to learn more about your Bible. You should spend more time with your Bible. You laugh. If you've never been there, praise God. I'm so glad you're redeemed and you're walking in grace. But I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you live there. Because you're just as ugly as I was. Just as self-righteous and filled with with examples of gaining God's approval through performance. And look, look at this, Matthew chapter 11. He makes this comment to the religious leaders of his day right in the midst of an argument about what's required. Verse 25, chapter 11 of Matthew. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise, the understanding, from the stuck-up, from the religious, from those who think it's about performance, from those who think that it's about their robes and the little bells they wear and the breastplate they have on, and whether or not they've gone into the temple, have they play, prayed three times a day, have they memorized their scripture, were they good to their neighbor? 
I thank you, Father, you've hidden this from all of those. And you've revealed it to who? Read it. To who? What did we say a little a moment ago in our example of how Jesus acted around little children and then said, you've got to become like them. That's who he's revealing this to. People that are just humble, who don't have it all together. I mean, whose soul is a shack. A shack of despair and ugliness and sin and failure and brokenness. And you're not trying to reach to God. You're not trying to perform for God. You recognize Jesus did it all. And he climbs into the shack of my soul. And he's entirely comfortable being there. And he takes my sin. He becomes my sin. And he removes it. And he hangs on a cross. And then he says, now, Jeff Corson, I'm going to make a way for you to walk right into the the presence of the Father and ask anything you want in my name, and he will do it. Here's how. Verse 26, yes, Father, for such was your precious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and, and, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. <laughs> Who, who's he revealing this to? Little children, not self-righteous, not performers, not those who think they have it all together. He's revealing it to the little children. Okay, watch this, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Amplified Translation says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. The Message Translation. Thank you, Jesus, for the Message Translation. Every once in a while. What's the brother's name? Uh, uh, Peterson. Eugene. Eugene Peterson. Yeah, you're shaking your head. you Do you know him? No. (laughs) I thought, wow, I want to go to lunch. Eugene Peterson wrote an incredible paraphrase. It's not a literal word for word. But oh, the the richness of sometimes. It's not not accurate in every, every passage. But boy, does he do a fine job with this one. Watch. Are you tired? Has your religion worn you out? Are you burnt out on performance, on religion? Then come to me. Jesus is saying this. Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. I forgive the woman caught in adultery. I gather the little children under myself and embrace them and call heaven down. Watch how I do it. They wanted to throw him over the cliff. They're so mad at him. 
for upturning their religion. And the Bible says he, he just walked. He just walked through their midst and disappeared. <laughs> wow. Imagine being so cool with every situation, every situation at work where there's pressure and they're bombarding you. And, and, and you feel like, my God, if I have to go another day here, I will pull my hair out. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll pull a postal. No, 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 don't do that. No, don't do that. That's a bad joke. Don't, don't do a postal worker. If I have to work here another day. Have you ever said that? That's when the greater one says, I want to talk to you. <laughs> you need to rest. You need to recenter in who I've called you to be, who you are in me. Who I am in you, what I purchased. Because in me, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come away with me and I will give you rest. He continues, I won't lay anything too heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Dear ones, listen, the, the soul, the soul, where we keep our secrets, where we hate ourselves, the place of shame, where we hide our addictions, uh, where, where we, we, we hate ourselves and we don't want anything to do with it. Religion tells you that God hates that place too. Religion tells you that God wants a nice building. And so we don't know what to do with that soul. And so we, we, we resurrect a, 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 or we create a facade. We paint it and we fix it up to pacify other people's expectations. And so then we begin to perform. And religion is all about performance. I mean rededication and fasting and prayer. And i got to read my Bible. And when I'm in church, I need, to, I need to find my chapter and verse faster than Marissa does. Bless God. Now I'll feel good. All of that is performance. And listen to me. Performance will prevent Authenticity and power. God climbs into the middle of whatever you are going through in your soul, independent of your performance, and He brings rest. He brings healing. Dear ones, listen to me. God wants to bring healing to you today. God wants you to be free from all your performance today. Following Jesus is not about performance. Following Jesus is about abiding in his finished work and accepting his other-centered love that the Trinity has perfected. I mean, they've been working on this thing for eternity and they love each other perfectly. God is love. He can't act any other way. You say, Pastor Jeff, well, what about this scripture? And what about that passage? And what about this over in the Old Testament? All I know is this. Everything in scripture has to be interpreted by the foundational truth of who God is. And God is love.
He can't be anything else. And John said, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. Finally, finally, it's in your notes. God wants you to enter his rest. How many of you want to enter his rest? How many of you want to stop the performance-based religion and enter his rest? Could we stand?